Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read both of those passages. Paul says basically the same thing in both of these passages. But I want to read both of them. And even I like to show this too because you know sometimes preachers preach on things more than once. You know, maybe they preach the same message more than once. And you know what? Even Paul did that. He preached the same message more than once. And so Colossians chapter three and in verse fifteen says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, right there to some great great verses where we see this you know, teaching and admonishing others, singing to yourselves the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it is important for us as believers to make the Word of God a part of our life. Okay, And when I say that too, making the Word of God a part of your life, I think everybody... Who claims to be a Christian, you know, they all verbally give lip service to the fact that the Word of God is a part of their life, that it is important. You know, what's the most precious book to you? Well, everybody's going to say the Bible. You know, and I believe it's the Word of God. We we know all the things that we're supposed to say about the Bible, but then if you start talking to many you know people many times and maybe start asking them questions about things, it's very clear they don't know a whole lot of Bible, and then especially maybe when you see how they live their lives it's very clear that they don't know a whole lot of Bible. I mean, have you ever had that person before that maybe you worked with or a neighbor or something that you know blew your mind when they revealed to you that they were a Christian? And you're like, I had no, I had no idea. I, I used to work with a guy that I was just, he was just like everybody else I worked with. I never would have guessed in a million years he was a Christian. And he found out that I was a pastor's son and that I was an, I was an assistant pastor at my dad's church. And so he came and approached me. Hey, you know, I hear you're a Christian. And I hear you working in church and all that. And he's like, Yeah, I am too. He's like, You know, he said my dad's a pastor of a church and told me that church's dad pastors. You know, and and I'm thinking, you know, you know, now he's going to start talking about how he's kind of the black sheep of the family or how. But no, man, he he thought he was like this greatest Christian in the world, and everybody hated this guy too because he he was as rotten as all get out, and he was always preaching at people. There at work, and there were these two Jehovah's Witnesses that we worked with, and he was always going and getting in fights with them because you know he knew Jehovah's Witnesses were bad, and he was always you know getting in these arguments with them and stuff. And the guy just had a horrible, horrible testimony. And while he made lip service to the fact that the Word of God was a part of his life and important to him, it was very clear that it wasn't there. It wasn't evident. And whenever when I talk about the Word of God being a part of your life, I'm talking about you know, is it a, you know, is it inside of you? Do you instinctively, you know, I mean, almost instinctively, do some of these things? Obey it without even thinking about it. I understand we do have to make an effort many times, but there's a lot of things in the Bible that eventually, I mean, it it can become normal for us. I mean, it would 
it would be strange. It, it should be strange to, uh, you know, if if you did, if you did, maybe say something you shouldn't do. You let out a cuss word. Hopefully, you would be convicted by that. Hopefully, it would be something that it would. I mean, it would really bother you. Hopefully, it's something that you just don't do. That you don't even think about doing it because I mean, you've got it in your head. You've got it in your heart. I'm not going to talk that way. I've known some people who were Christians that were pretty backslidden. They even got to where they use some language sometimes. But one of the things you hear them say is they will. They just they can't use God's name in a blasphemous way. They'll use other cuss words, but they won't say God's name in a blasphemous way. It's like there's just something that won't let them do that. You know, they've still at least got that respect for God. At least that's still a part of them, I guess you could say. But you know, one, you know, I believe though, you know, obviously in the church, you know, the Word of God is the focal point. But even in our family and even our culture, the Word of God ought to be a focal point. And one of the best ways, one of the most effective ways. To get things instilled in somebody's mind and in their heart is through music. One of the best ways to teach things, even in school, you know, what? How do they? How do they teach kids the alphabet? I mean, think about it. It would be very hard to learn the alphabet without music, wouldn't it? I mean, that's 26 letters in a row that you're supposed to memorize in order. That's hard to do. You know, most of us couldn't memorize 26. You know, random things in order unless you have music. But you put it to music, and it's in everybody's head. We all know it. Everybody knows their ABCs. I mean, how many of you before? Maybe you know you're trying to you're trying to think of you know what's after a certain letter or something. You, you you're kind of singing the song in your head when you're doing. It. I remember I, when I was in school, I would do that when you're like looking for things in alphabetical order and stuff. And you know, you kind of sometimes stop and think, and you kind of say, okay, I'm I'm on you know Q. You know, and you're kind of singing. You sing part of the song in your head to get it. And music is so effective in getting the word of God. Our songs, our psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, they have doctrine in them. They have scripture in them. And a lot of what we know is because of things that we've sung. And one thing that you know most cultures have in common is they have music. That's unique to them. You can hear certain music sometimes, and you know what culture that music's from. You know what type of people listen to that, and that music is often a part of their culture. If you were to go here in America and go to any type of cultural thing, if you were to go to something, you know, a Mexican thing or a Scottish thing, there's going to be stuff there with music that's unique to that culture. Why? Because I'm anything, any culture. That there is, they do. They have some kind of music that is associated with them. You know, if we were to go, you know, to a Russian culture thing, you know, we all know what kind of music we're going to hear. You know, we're going to see the guy with the big hats and you know, crossing their arms and doing the dancing when they kick their legs. And we all know what kind of music goes with that. I'm not going to try singing any of it right now, but we're all familiar with that stuff. And so, I'm in church amongst Christians, I do. I believe there's music that ought to be unique. To our culture, I don't, and I don't believe that Christian music is the only music that you're allowed to listen to. I think there's other music that is even fleshly, I guess you could say, or carnal, but not in a bad way. That's not necessarily sinful, but I don't believe we ought to have it in church. And I'll, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. But you know, music it, it's often a reflection. 
in one way or the other of just who we are and what our values are in our culture. Some cultures, their music, it's kind of vile. It's kind of sensual. Okay? There's some cultures that a part of their music involves the people wearing very little clothing. Okay? A lot of the African stuff. You know, why? Those, those cultures don't wear a lot of clothes. You know, a lot of the Hawaiian stuff, or what, what do they call those people from Hawaii? You know, they've got a lot of their tribal stuff that they do too. And it involves dancing and things. It involves not wearing a lot of clothes. You know, Indian stuff. You know, all those cultures, and those musics all have similarities too. And there's usually, just this is kind of a side note, there's usually a lot of drums and a lot of beat is most of what their music is. And yeah, there's not a lot of clothes being worn too. And I'm not talking about this now. I'm going to throw this in for bonus too. But you cannot have godly music and in a church, or you can't have godly music and people, or I guess ungodly music, when you are dressed in a modest, conservative way. It just does not work. There is just certain types of music that people cannot do wearing a suit and tie. And that's why when churches go liberal, when they're, you know, the dress goes and then the music goes with it. And there's just certain kind of music that you're, you know, there's certain ways that you dress that you're just not going to want to do godly music with that. And, I don't know, maybe you just feel dirty singing something holy, you know, when you're dressed in an unholy way. It's amazing the way those things, those things just go hand in hand. But that's kind of a side note there. But music should be a part of our culture as a Christian. And music is a great tool for instilling principles of God's Word in our hearts. So, how can we, you know, what do we need to have when it comes to our music in church? And I believe that when it comes to music in our church, we have to make sure that it's spiritual, not sensual. Okay? Notice what it says in verse 16 of uh, Colossians chapter 3. Let me read it so I don't mess it up. But it, sa- it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Not sensual songs. Spiritual songs. You see, what's happening in churches today is a lot of people think spiritual music is boring. Now, why do they think that? Okay, Because the, many times these are lost people that are visiting churches. And what is most music about? It's about pleasing the flesh, isn't it? It's about fun. And not all of that's bad. Okay, Listen, we're in Christmas season right now. I like Christmas music. I, I like Santa Claus is coming to town. I like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I like all those songs. Okay, I, I enjoy those. I like walking into Winter Wonderland. I think we should have sang that in church today with all that snow that we had. But you know, now that that's probably not appropriate. But I think that's fun stuff, and it, it has its place. I I wouldn't call that music spiritual. There's no spiritual message to it. There's no spiritual message to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, there there's no. But at the same same time. It is enjoyable to the flesh. It's fun, isn't it? Not in a bad way, not in a sensual way, but in a fleshly way. We do enjoy some of that stuff. You know, we, uh, you know, we enjoy, you know, like the, you know, who knows the William Tell Overture song. You know, I've always enjoyed that song. It just uh, it gets you excited, gets you fired up. You know, I, I'm not as I'm carnal as some of you, but you know, some of you probably like you know songs like the Eye of the Tiger. You know, things like that. You know, get you all. Uh, hopped up and ready to go. When I did the 5K run, uh, color run over there in Sterling, like right before 
we got ready to do it. They started playing the Eye of the Tiger. And man, oh man, I was ready to run. Uh, there's just something about that music. Definitely towards the flesh, I don't think necessarily in a sinful way. Okay? Uh, it, it, it does. It, it gets you fired up. It gets you motivated physically. But should we take the Eye of the Tiger music and put Christian words to it and sing it in church? Absolutely not. That would be completely inappropriate. That would be wrong. And, and we're not going to do that. And people do that all the time. Where they'll take you know stuff from the world and they'll make it Christian. You, you can't do that. That's not right. Because you know what? If we did that, people are going to get pumped when we start singing that song, but they're not going to be thinking of the Christian words. They're going to be thinking, I the tiger. And it's just... It, it's wrong. You can't do that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to talk about other worldly songs that are fun. That I, but um, you know, we all have those songs that that we enjoy. But in the church, it's different. Spiritual songs. Verse 19 says the same thing. Spiritual songs and music that's in the church. It is not about the flesh. We are. It is not supposed about be about having fun. But that's what people want. In churches, and churches are accommodating people. They're giving the people what they want. You know, earthly, sensual, and devilish people—they don't mind, you know, singing good and bad music. Okay, like for, uh, look at James chapter three, for example. James chapter three, we see that term, those terms: earthly, sensual, and devilish. It says, "For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame; it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison." Therewith bless we God, even the Father therewith curse we men which are made after the multitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now this is talking about, you know, saying good things verbally about God and saying bad things about people. That's what that's talking about. But this principle of out of the same mouth proceeding blessing and cursing, that is wrong. We, that should not happen. You know, does the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either uh, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. What kind of wisdom? This attitude of being able, you know, speaking both ways, saying good things about God and bad about other people, sending forth, you know, fresh water and salt water, you know, having blessing and cursing coming out of your mouth, that is earthly, sensual, and devilish. That is all about the individual. And so when it comes to music, it is it's wrong. I think this verse here, it shows that we should not listen to secular artists that make Christian albums. Okay? Now, I'll listen to, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'm confessing too much tonight, but, you know, I like Bing Crosby, some of Bing Crosby's Christmas songs that he sings. Alright? I like when he sings Here Comes Santa Claus. Uh, I like, I, I enjoy them. But at the same time, I'm not going to buy a Christian album of Bing Crosby singing. Now, he was a secular singer. I don't believe he was saved. I don't believe he was a Christian. I'll listen to him sing a song about Santa Claus. I'm not going to listen to him sing a song you know, about Jesus or especially about doctrine. I don't want to hear that. And, we, and there's a lot of artists out there that do that. 
that do that do both. You know, Elvis. I don't think you ought to listen to Elvis's, you know, Christian albums that he put out. Why? He sang a lot of bad songs too, and to me, that's just being a total hypocrite. A lot of these country singers that sing songs about getting drunk and about committing adultery and fornication, and then sing Christian songs too, out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. That's wrong. We shouldn't. You shouldn't listen to people that sing both kinds of both kinds of music. That's just it's wrong. It's a joke. But you know, there must be something about these people that you know makes them want to sing these Christian songs. They must be saved. No, they're earthly, sensual, and devilish. They just know if they sing the Christian stuff too, they can make some money with it. And that's one way too that we can fall in love with these people and their voices, and we'll eventually listen to their other stuff too. It's a way they can make money. A lot of these people, when they start putting out Christian albums, that usually means their career is tanking and they're trying to reach a new audience. And Christians are always anxious to find an excuse to go listen to some of these people. You shouldn't do that. If they're singing songs about getting drunk, committing adultery, all that kind of stuff, we shouldn't listen to that. We should not listen to their Christian stuff. I think I think that's wrong. And especially when it comes to music in the church, we're not going to bring these people in. There was a one... Uh, I forgot. It might have been Oral Roberts. I can't remember who was the guy that had that Crystal Cathedral that was, uh, was real famous. Was that Oral Roberts? Schuler. Yeah, Schuler. It was him. And he used to have celebrities come in there all the time and sing songs in the church. There'd be people you'd recognize from movies and stuff, and they would sing Christian songs in his church. And it's just like, are you serious? Now, why did he do that? Well, he's earthly, sensual, and devilish. Okay, he's trying to get money. And what a great way to get people to come to your church by having some celebrity that everybody knows come in and sing Christian songs. They didn't sing their bad stuff there. You know, they sang they sang good stuff there, but it was about making money. And that that's not what this should be about in church. We ought we ought to have people singing that, you know, back up that singing with their lives. You know, we need to make sure that when it comes to our music in the church, what we are singing in the church, that it's real and not fake. It says in verse 17, "...whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him." And then in verse 20, "...giving thanks for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." All the music that we're doing here, okay, it is supposed to be about worshiping God, not putting on a performance. Okay? We're doing it in the name of Christ. So why would we allow music in here that is sensual or that is that is even fleshly? Okay? Even not in a bad way. Remember I mentioned last week, not all things that are of the flesh are bad. Not all lust is bad. We all if you see a T bone steak, you're gonna lust after it. We are physically attracted to that. It's not a sin. Okay, but when it comes to music, there are some things that we might enjoy, but it doesn't necessarily mean we ought to have it in the church. It ought to be spiritual. It ought to be about what pleases God, and it's supposed to be about worshiping God. And worship, it is. It's supposed to be directed towards God. But what most people would call worship today, it's all about for the people. 
I mean, people, man, they just want to come and they want to worship because they just want to have a good time. They want to get that warm, fuzzy feeling. They want to just get, they want to get all excited and fired up and have a good feeling. They want to get in the church and they want to dance and have a good time and maybe even want to get slain in the Spirit and pass out and speak in tongues or something like that. That is not worship. That is all about you when you're doing that kind of thing. And our music that we do, it's supposed to be worshiped and directed at God, not the flesh. But what are most people looking for? You know, when they have singers and stuff come in, they want somebody that's going to come in that's going to get everybody, you know, clapping and jumping and running and skipping and no, that's not that's not worship. That is not worship. That is directed towards the people and their flesh, not God. And we've we just I don't believe that has a place in church. Okay, I grew up listening to a lot of southern gospel. There's a lot of southern gospel out there that. I still, my flesh, enjoys it. It's fun, but I do not believe it's appropriate in church. I don't believe it's worshipful at all. I think it is clearly geared towards the flesh, but yet that's what people want. And then what will happen, these professional performers will come in and they'll do all their you know, dancing, stuff, dancing and stuff and get everybody all excited. And you know what everybody says after that? Boy, the Holy Spirit sure moved. No, he didn't. Okay, you know, and I remember because when I I remember when I started seeing this for what it was. I remember we went to a cathedral's concert, and we were all excited. We were traveling through Arkansas. We heard on the radio they were going to be doing a concert real close to where we were at. I'm like, Dad, we've got to go. And so we went to this concert, and they went there and they you know did their songs and you know and he would tell a lot of jokes and it, I mean it literally was a performance. But I was just a teenager, and the first time I saw it, I took everything for what it was. You know, uh, I remember uh, Roger Bennett. He got there and he gave this very moving testimony about how he had gotten diagnosed with leukemia, I guess, and then he had told the story about how God gave him this song, and then about not being afraid, and then later he found out he didn't have leukemia anymore, and then. You know, he did this dance, and I'm not even going to try to do the dance he does. He does it on the stage, and it is very moving. And then they go and sing the song, and you're just like, wow, you know. And all this stuff that they did, it seems so spontaneous. It seems so in the moment, filled with the Spirit. Whenever they would sing, you know, they'd all do their, you know, praise stuff that people do. And it looked very great, it looked very sincere. And I'm like, man, that was really something. Well, a little while later, they were in Peoria and we went to go see him there again. And they sang most of the same songs and they did all the same stuff. Every little, from every little hand raise to every little dance move, it was all rehearsed and choreographed. It looked sincere. It looked real. It looked like these people were being moved by the Holy Spirit, but it was exactly the same in both places. And I realized this is a performance. It feels like worship. It feels, you know, it, it looks like the Spirit's moving, but it's a performance. It's a production. And many people, uh, many groups are, amongst Baptist churches, they have mimicked that stuff and they do those exact same things. They cry and their voice cracks at the same part on the song every single time. And you know, and the audience, oh, they get all tore up and they all cry. Boy, didn't the spirit just move? No, it didn't. You got entertained. 
you saw a great performance, and that that's not worship. And people love that too. I mean, when singers, you know, especially women, when some singer goes and he tells that story before, you know, you know, they got you know they got the music playing in the background as he's walking around, he's telling his heartwarming story, and then. You know, and, and you know, everybody's just crying. And I mean, and these people are professionals. They're good at it. You know, and preachers too. Sometimes even even with preaching, I've seen it before. Where I've seen preachers get up and man, they're telling their story, and you can just man, man, listen, watch this guy. Man, he's just being led by the Holy Spirit. Look how he's moved. Uh, you know, you hear his voice crack right there, and then I'll hear him preach the same message somewhere else, and they'll do the exact same thing. And I'm just like. I saw one time with these Southern Gospel singers. I watched, I, I loved this song, and I'd heard it many times. Well, I watched the video of the guy singing it live, and it was a ridiculous performance. All right? And I, I'm not going imit, to imitate, but he sang the song, and this guy, he would like always get way behind the music and stuff, you know, adding all these little things, and you know, the Spirit was just moving him so much, he couldn't even stay with the music. And he did his thing, and I watched a, a guy one time. I was at a service and he went and he sang that song and he did it exactly like that guy did. Exactly like it. He walked around, he did all the movements, he got behind the music. Every little thing he did that looked like it was of the Holy Spirit was identical to that other guy. And I saw that and I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. Because I always hated that performance. And I watched another preacher. This was a pastor. He got up and he did the exact same thing. Why? This is not real stuff, folks. This is of the flesh. It is a performance. It's a production. And it is not worship at all. Is it enjoyable to the flesh? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's not what church music should be about. We are trying to use music to get the Word of God in our hearts and us making it all about the flesh, it's going to lead us places we don't want to go. Because our flesh, it, you know, it, it likes some stuff that it shouldn't like. It, it, gets, it likes some things that are inappropriate. And eventually we can have that stuff in the church. So music should be about worship, not just putting on a performance. You know, we ought to strive to do our best, but don't, don't make a show out of it. I think when we sing, when we play this or whatever, I think you ought to do your best. If you can sing a song and you can sing it really, really good, you ought to do it. If you can play an instrument and you can really, really play it good, you ought to, you ought to do it. You ought to do your best. But, you know, this isn't, this isn't about, it's not about you. Okay? And, and some of it's fun. You know, we've all seen the people that do the, you know, put on the shows with music. You know, I, I watched a guy one time you know, playing a violin, and he started, you know, like playing it on his head and, you know, behind his back and stuff like that. That's enjoyable to watch. That's impressive. But, but do we need to do that in church? Okay? If you can play a violin song in church and it's great, but don't play it behind your back in church, right? That's just, that's just putting it on a show, you know, playing an instrument and juggling at the same time. Appropriate if you want to go watch somebody put on a performance. But not appropriate in church. We're not going to do that. We're not going to when you're singing. We're not going to do a juggling and a dancing act while we're singing in church. That's wrong, completely out of place. You know, and it's it's not always wrong to perform. It's not always wrong to put on an entertaining show. But just don't call it worship. Okay? That's not what it is. And so we need. A, so when it comes to our music, we've got to make sure that it's biblical. And not political. Okay. What, what do I mean by that? Well, in verse 17, you know, it says, 
whatsoever we do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, we're doing this in His name. Whatever we do, and then it mentioned, you know, it's just mentioned singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, Ephesians five twenty, you know, it mentions giving uh, thanks for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so when we are singing a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song, it has to be biblical. Okay, Christmas songs usually aren't biblical, like Santa Claus is coming to town. It's fun, it's entertaining, but is that biblical? No, there's, there's no Santa Claus. All right, I hope I didn't just ruin anybody's Christmas. All right, you know, there's there's no Rudolph. Uh, you know, I shot him one year. No, uh, that no, that's not that. Uh, you know, that's not biblical. But not not even just in that. But there's a lot of Christian songs that are fun and that are entertaining that are not. They're they're just not biblical. And how can we say something is of God and in the name of God when it goes against His Word? How many have ever heard the song My Name is Lazarus before? I love it. My family's heard it because they've heard me listen to it. I enjoy that song. I don't know. I, I, I know I enjoy that song. It's of the flesh. And the song, it tells a story. There's four, it tells a story about the four men that brought a crippled man to Jesus. And it goes on in the story, and they're, they're, it's like they're having this conversation about you know bringing him to Jesus. Is he going to be able to heal him? The one guy's like, well, I don't know. You know, he healed me when I was uh, my hand was withered, but I don't know if he can heal this one. The next guy's like, you know, Jesus cleansed me when I was a leper, but I don't know if he can uh, heal this man. The other guy, Jesus healed me when I was blind, but boy, this guy, you know, he's worse off than I was. But then the fourth man speaks up. And he says, "My name is Lazarus, you know." And Jesus brought me from the dead. It, 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 oh, it's great! That's a great song. But here's the problem: if you read the Bible, that Jesus healing that man that was born of four, uh, that was one of Jesus' early miracles that happened before all those other miracles. Lazarus was one of the end of the miracles. So it's like, that's, you know. And to me, if it was a possibility, I would be like, "I'm singing that song. That's cool." All right. But and, it, and what it's trying to teach is. We've been saved. We've been brought back from the dead spiritually. We ought to be able to have faith that God can do anything. Oh, that's a great message. That's a moving song. I think it's okay to go ahead and sing it. No, we shouldn't because that totally goes against what's very clear in the Scriptures. It wasn't Lazarus. He wasn't one of the men. And even if he was one of the men, he hadn't been raised from the dead yet. Oh, you're being so pick. I'm sorry. That stuff kind of stuff bothers me. And uh, you know, if, if it's in the name of God, it's got to be biblical. A psalm, okay? A psalm, a sacred song or a hymn, a song composed on a divine subject and in praise of God. Okay, and when I think of a psalm too, I think of the Book of Psalms. Okay, that's part of the Word of God. Okay, a psalm ought to be biblical, and we're you know hymns. These are songs that that are enjoy songs that are meant to honor God. And we are never honoring God when we mess with His Word. We are never honoring God when we mess with His message. But at the same time, there's a lot of songs that we sing sometimes without even thinking about that aren't biblical and we're sending a wrong message. You know, many people think when Jesus Christ returns, it's going to be on a bright and cloudless morning. Why? Because on a bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise... But we know when Jesus Christ returns, He's coming with clouds. It's mentioned many times. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord of the air. Okay? Oh, you know, it's, it's an innocent mistake. Maybe, but you know what? People think it's going to be on a bright and cloudless morning. 
It's in their head. Why? Because they've heard all the, they've heard all those songs. You know, I preached a message last year about the imminency conspiracy. How you know most people believe the return of Christ is imminent, and even though all the prophecy preachers they go around all their meetings like, did you hear what happened in the news this week in Syria or in Israel? You know, this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Well, listen, if that was a fulfillment of prophecy and it happened before the rapture, then that means the rapture couldn't happen until that happened. Therefore, the return of Christ is not imminent. Yet, and yet all prophecy preachers, they all believe the return of Christ is imminent, but every week they're going around saying, did you hear what happened that just was a fulfillment of prophecy? I mean, the double talk is ridiculous. Prophecy preachers are a joke. I'm sorry, even in Baptist churches. And, but at the same time, people believe it. Why? I gave all kinds of examples of songs that teach it. Most of these were written in like the 70s and 80s that talk about eminency. And they even quote Bible and completely misuse it. You go look at those Scriptures, you see it teaches something completely different. And another thing too that I'm seeing that's sadly has gotten in Baptist churches and I think a lot of it's being helped with songs is this dispensational stuff I've been talking about. Dispensationalism, I'm telling you man, I hate this stuff. It disgusts me. But it is getting in people's hearts through music. Go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter four. While I'm just while I'm bashing dispensationalism, I want to use some Bible to to do that. There are there are people, and a lot of them are Baptists, that that believe this stuff, and it's absolutely ridiculous. In fact, if you look on the websites of most churches' doctrinal statements, it will usually have something about believing in dispensationalism. But if you if you talk to most Baptist pastors and start questioning them, they don't real they don't realize they don't believe in dispensationalism. There's a few people out there that really do that are out there in evangelism that are trying to promote this stuff, but it's it's absolutely wicked. But they are teaching basically you know the different ways of salvation through through the ages, and it's like the thief on the cross. Almost every time you hear a song that mentions the thief on the cross. There's a dispensationalist message to it. It was like he was the first one to you know get saved by grace, and that is not the case. Look at Romans chapter four, verse one. It says, "What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Abraham, he was supposed to be too a start of one of the dispensations." Yet the Bible says that he didn't get saved by works, but by believing. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. David was in another dispensation that supposedly that Abraham was in. He was in the dispensation of the law where they had to keep the works. But David even wrote about a man who God imputeth righteousness without works. And if you go and then well, let's keep reading it. This is just this is good stuff. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon Jews only, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to eight reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? 
when he was in circumcision or an uncircumcision. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. If you read about when Abraham got saved, it was before God gave the covenant of circumcision. Well, so he got saved then because that was before the new dispensation had started, is what they'll try to say. But then why did Paul make a point to show that Abraham got saved before that? Why? Because it was, it was never about works. It was always about believing. It was always about faith. And we're not going to read the rest, but if you read the rest, Paul's basically just preaching against dispensationalism. They just didn't use that term for it back then. And people are still trying to use that. And they say that you know the church age, we're the only ones that have gotten saved by grace through faith without works. And when the tribulation starts, it's about works. If you take the mark, you know you go to hell. You have to endure to the end to be saved. Completely just butchering that scripture too. I mean, just no study at all goes into that. And we're not we're not going to talk about that. But this dispensational, it's coming into music, a song that has just swept through fundamentalism a while back. All the Baptist churches were singing. All the college groups sang it. And I'm going to admit it. I didn't catch this for a long time. I enjoyed the song too. I got caught up in the music. I got caught in the moment. And then until one day I'm like, well, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. And I actually went and I went online and I looked up the words of the song to make sure, you know, I was, you know, the message was what I thought the message was. But the song's called I Can Go In. And I want to read the words of the song, the song for you. But I, hate, I, I now hate this song. And I, when I read the words, it might not be saying what I think it's saying. And, and I, I'll tell you these words, and you can be the judge if this is what it's talking about, but I'll, I will say this, there's not a clear message here. All right? But it says, He stood beside the gate of heaven waiting to go in, and he'd wondered how this holy place could take a man like him. With shouts of great rejoicing and with music then they came, of the angels standing by him, he asked, what could be their name? These are the company of prophets, the goodly fellowship of souls, who spake God's Word with faith and boldness, who blessed the poor and made the wounded whole. Oh, he fell upon his knees and cried, I'm not one of these. He waited till another band of shining ones drew nigh. They entered into heaven with a hallelujah cry. He asked again, Who are these? Can you tell me whence they came? He seemed to see the answer in a burning tongue of flame. These are the company of martyrs, the mighty fellowship of saints, who knew our Lord and walked beside Him, who ran the holy race and did not faint. Oh, he fell upon his knees and cried, I am not one of these. Then suddenly, a multitude was heard from far away. Their voices rang with songs of joy like children at their play. He saw Rahab, he saw David, Mary Magdalene, and Paul. And the thief who died by Jesus was the one who led them all. Who are these? He almost shouted at the angels. These are the sinners saved by grace. The host of them who called upon the Savior washed in blood and justified by faith. And oh, he leaped up from his knees. Oh, I can go in with these. And so I'm like, but wait, everyone is a sinner saved by grace. So do some people get in heaven because they're martyrs? Do some people get in heaven because they were prophets because they did all those good works? I'm not sure. He did mention David and Rahab who were Old Testament. You know, so is, is this dispensational? I, I, I don't know. I wasn't sure. It's not clear because with what a lot of people are preaching, they are. It's like people got in different ways. And so, uh, and look at this other, there's another line that's in here. Um, 
So he says, and I can go in for my heart is free from sin. I've been washed in the blood everlasting life to win. I can rejoice. I can lift up my voice. I can sing. And I can go in. Oh, he thought there could be no hallelujahs and no cries for this lowly band of people by the world despised. But as the scenes of heaven opened up before his eyes, he saw the martyrs and the prophets and the host of heaven rise and they sang, I can go in for my heart is free from sin. I've been washed in the blood. Everlasting life to win. So does that mean that they were all saying the same thing too? I can go in because I've been washed, or were they just singing it on his behalf? I'm not sure. I'm confused by this song, and it seems to go fit with that dispense. Maybe it doesn't. So maybe I shouldn't bash it. I don't, but it's not clear. I'm confused. There's the song by the way of the cross that talks about that thief. You know that he gets there. You know. You know, he who brought me here told me to say, I came by the way of the cross, and it's like, uh, I probably should read the words of it. Yeah, he was guilty, everyone could see, but his destiny was changed. We looked at Christ and said, When your kingdom comes, remember me. In paradise that day, he stood like the Lord had said he would, surrounded by those who'd gone before. One said, Friend, how do you come? What are the deeds you have done? With tears in his eyes, I can hear him reply, There are no merits to my name. The works that I can claim, he who brought me here told me to say, and it's like, I don't know, it's like, it was like this new way people were getting in and the thief was the first. And Maybe I'm being picky, but a lot of the songs, and we were talking about some the other day, just a lot of different songs that do kind of have that dispensationalist message to it. And a lot of Baptist people are starting to fall for this. And they're not getting it from the Bible. And you really want to get a Baptist mad at you you tell them their song's not biblical and they go nuts because they like that song and they will make the Bible fit their song if they have to. I mean, they, they, will, they will make the Bible fit their song because they're not giving up that song. They're not, they're not going against that. And listen, we, I, I think one of the things that's messing people up doctrinally is music. And so we've got to be careful. We've got to be picky about that stuff. And you know, and I do. There's we've been we've been practicing songs before. And I'm like, well, this has a dispensational message to it, and we don't sing it, you know, just because I don't want to get that in people's head. I don't want people are getting fooled by that stuff. But yet, when I said it needs to be biblical, not political, a lot of times these songs too, it's like they're all written around the same time era like a lot of the eminency songs, because that was a huge thing, you know, sweeping through fundamentalism at that, that time. That was some new thing that everybody was caught up in. And so everybody writes songs on that subject and it's it's the popular thing. Some of these things are popular. They're they're what everybody's talking about. You know, we've we've seen goofy things that have swept through our you know our movement. You know, we've seen things like Zionism that has come into Baptist churches that is very, very popular and we're seeing preachers that are finally being challenged on that. And, you know, a lot of people, it's like when you show them the scripture, you know, they don't have anything to say. And it's, I, I really think with the Zionism, people are backing off on it. You've got a few people out there, some of the big shots that are still promoting it, that are still pushing it. But I think, I think, I think it's going to go away eventually because most people have, they've realized. It's not biblical. It was a fad. It was a movement that people got caught up into. And they're, they're getting away from that because they're being challenged and people realize there's, there's no Bible for it at all. But it's sad how many people get caught up in movements. And music helps that stuff. 
We've seen even in our own you know, recent history, you know, there's been you know, cultural revolutions that you'll hear them talk about. And a lot of this stuff, it was started by singers. By a lot of the rock music and stuff that literally changed our cultures. That started, they started movements through music. And I think the same thing goes on in churches. Different false doctrine, false teaching. It gets brought in through music and people, they just like the song so much, it was so moving to the flesh, it's like they, they don't want to give it up. They like it too much. We were at the Pilots Convention one year, and I, I was sitting listening to con- you know, the competitions as a girl got up and she sang a song. She was a great singer. But she sang that song, and I'm, you know, I'm like, good. I told my wife, I was like, that song was so not biblical. I was trying to find the words of that song too. I, wanted, I was wanting to read the words of the song. I couldn't find it anywhere online. But I remember that. I remember that song. I was like, that song was so unbiblical it wasn't even funny. It had a terrible message to it, but it was a very emotional song. And, and, and she sang it very well. And, but, you know, it was just a competition. Not a whole lot of people saw it. But then they had the leader of her group get up in the main service. They had asked her to sing it to the whole big crowd. And he got up and made a big deal about the song, and she got up and sang it in the main service. And I'm like, am I the only one that sees something wrong here? This song is not even close to biblical, but oh, but it was such a moving song. Well, are we using music in church to worship God and to get the Word of God in people's hearts or to entertain? Because if you like to be entertained, and especially if you're a woman and you like a good crying song, it was a great crying song. But it was not a biblical song. It was not a song that should ever be sung in church because it was it was not biblical at all. We've got to make sure our songs are about God and not man. This isn't about us. See in verse sixteen, you know, we're singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. We're singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. These are things about God. We're giving thanks to God, and our music is supposed to be geared towards pleasing God, not man. God is not pleased when we mess with His Word, when we mess up His message. He's not pleased with the things of the flesh. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. We see that very clearly. You cannot please God in the flesh. And if our music is fleshy, we're not going to be pleasing God. Our music should not... It's not just about showing off our abilities. Okay, We're trying to make people impressed with God, not ourselves. It doesn't mean you can't do a good job. That doesn't mean if you've got a really good high voice, you can't go ahead and you know bust out that high note in a song. But listen, if if it is, if it's about impressing people with you, just just don't do it. All right, you know, don't do it. We're we're supposed to be trying to impress people with God, and we're because these songs that we sing, they do they they get in your head, they get in your heart. You'll catch yourself singing them throughout the week. Sometimes, you know, I, you know, a lot of times too, when I get up in the morning to go to work, when, you, when I get up at 2.30 in the morning, this happens all the time, I, I call it like a brain loop. I get, And I will literally, when you first wake up that early when you haven't had a lot of sleep, you don't have full control of your brain for a while. And I will get lines of songs stuck in my head. And it will just play over and over and over again. And it drives me crazy. And I was talking to my mom about that one time. She said she has the same thing. Anybody else ever have brain loops? All right, good. I'm not the only one. I thought I was going crazy, but I do. I have those brain loops, and I hate it. But you know, sometimes those brain loops are good things and good lines. You know, because of music I've been listening to. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's music that I from music that I've heard at work, and that's never good. And so that's why you I mean you stay away from that stuff 
all you can because you don't want to get you know that some bad line in a song in a brain loop in your head. It's bad, but uh, we need to make sure that we take advantage of it. We use this. It's a well-known fact that music is a powerful tool. It can influence entire cultures. And we need to do our best to use music to make a difference for good, not evil. And we'll never do anything good with music when it's geared towards the flesh. You will entertain people. You'll make. You'll even convince some people the Holy Spirit moved. Okay, if I, I'm not a good enough performer. But if I got in a group that was a good enough performers, they might be able to get some of you all to start jumping up and down. Maybe somebody do a lap around the room. I don't know if any of y'all would do that, but I've been in churches where that happens. And you know what people always say? The Holy Spirit moved. Boy, didn't the Spirit move? Where in the Bible do you see that? Where do you in the Bible do you see them doing that when the Holy Spirit moved? I can't think of anything that even resembles that, but yet people say the Holy Spirit moved. And boy, that singer, he's so filled with the Spirit of God. Why? Because he's such a good performer that he manipulated people into making fools of themselves? That means he's filled with the Spirit? Man, we are so sold out to our flesh sometimes that we have literally taken church, we have taken the word worship. I get the creeps when I hear churches talk about, you know, when I hear them use worship, you know, the trendies, they love worship. You know, come to our worship service and come worship with us as we worship and uh, as we come together and worship. And they overuse the word worship. And then you go to these places too where they overuse the word worship. It is always fleshly music. I mean, fleshly everything. They got, you know, they got the mood lights in the service. They got their praise teams up there and they do all their contemporary fleshly junk and they call it worship to the point now, I don't like the term worship service. And there's nothing wrong with that term. We ought to be worshiping in our service, but they have literally taken that word and they've destroyed it. They've turned it into something that it is not. And we've got to make sure... Around here, I want to keep it right. I want to keep the music right. I want to keep the atmosphere right. I want to keep the terminology right. I want to keep the doctrine right. And music will make a big difference in that. We might there's going to be songs that slip in every now and then that you know like ah oh, you know I never really caught that in the song before and you know when it does we'll we'll point it out you know if we need to check, change some words of the song we might need to white out some of the words in our our hymn books and maybe make a few changes on there you know on that bright and cloudless you know on that dark and cloudy uh, what we should say sun and dark we turn dark moon to blood you know add so you know change that stuff in there and we could really get. And think of it, if we did that, if we wouldn't put white out in all our songs and put dark and cloudy, can you imagine most Baptist face when they came in and heard us all sing on that dark and cloudy morning? <laughs> they're they're going to what kind of church is this? We're a biblical church. <laughs> but it, it would creep most people out. So we probably shouldn't do that. They'll get the wrong message <laughs> if we did that. But it, it, would, it would. It would creep people out, but I, I think it would probably be appropriate. Oh, maybe we will do that just so we can see people's faces when we when we all sing on that dark cloud. I want to I want to see all their faces when we do when we do that. But anyway, so with that, let's go ahead and stand together.